Grab your popcorn and snacks. Find a comfy spot, take a seat or lie down, and let me transport you to a place of fantasy, ghost stories, ancient legends, odd creatures, alien encounters, and other magical topics. You may even decide to join the conversation. From faraway lands to your own backyard, with a small dash of pixie dust, turn out the lights and open your minds. The journey is about to begin. Good afternoon, everybody. How's everybody doing today? Let me push my button. Here we go. Button time. You know I love pushing buttons. I just love pushing buttons. My name is Charlotte. I'm going to be your host for the next hour or so. Mainly for the next hour. I'm also the owner of the California Haunts Paranormal Investigation Team. Based out of Sacramento. Let me make an adjustment here. There we go. Based out of Sacramento, California. Uh, we're 35 strong. Up and down the state. That, what, uh, what that means is that even though the bulk of the team is in Sacramento, we still have people out in outlying areas, outlying counties. So if you have paranormal needs or think you have paranormal need things going on in your house, we can get to you because we're almost in every county. We're spread out. So uh, contact me, you know, via Facebook, Messenger, uh, you know, uh, the website at CaliforniaHaunts.org, the radio website at CaliforniaHauntsRadio.com. There's all kinds of ways to contact me, even on TikTok under California hunts. So, uh, wow, that was a great weekend. It's hot again, but I think I've cooled enough uh, off enough in here I can do this without the AC. Our guest tonight, Stan Gordon's going to be in, uh, it's going to be a call-in, so I have to call him by phone. But I heard him on another show, but, and uh, he talked about some strange creatures. He's been a uh, paranormal investigator for a long, long time, and so he's seen a lot. And so it's going to be interesting to talk to him to hear about, you know, what he's seen and the strange creatures he's, 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 he's investigated. And in fact, today, just as we were confirming for sure today, he even let me know that they've had some more strange sightings in Pennsylvania that we're going to talk about. And, you know, when you think about it, you think about Sasquatch, you think about all these creatures. And even with Northern California, I mean, between Northern California, Oregon, and Washington, there's so much, so much space out there. So, so many woods that something could hide in, you know? And then, you know, you think about these things like Loch Ness, same thing. I mean, there's so many bodies of water that they can hide, that, 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 that a creature could literally hide in. So I don't, you know, I, I don't discount anything like that. I just don't. Anyway, if you're watching from Facebook, Please hit the follow button. We're looking for followers. Also, if you're watching from <laughs> YouTube, it's one of those days. If you're watching from YouTube, hit that subscribe button. It's that little man down in the bottom right-hand corner. The uh, ghost with the magnifying glass and the Sherlock Holmes hat. That's our mascot. And if you're watching from Twitch, please hit the follow button. Because we, you know, the more the merrier with this. Because we're gonna, we got we got a bunch of stuff coming up that's good, that's really cool. It's going to be cool. It's going to be fun stuff. Going to keep our format rolling and and uh, Friday, Friday especially, Nancy Matz is going to be here. It's, it's Nancy, it's, it's it's medium Nancy Matz Friday, but also my 200th show is going to be Thursday night, so we're going to have the celebration on Friday. So I've got some paranormal books to give away and some other things. All right, so we we got we got Friday going, and Nancy and I are going to have a nice talk. What are we going to talk about? Well, dead people like we always do, but that's what we're going to talk about. But it's my anniversary show. 
And Nancy was with, has been with me off, uh, off and on over the years since I was on Blog Talk Radio. So that's that's how far back we go. And even before then, when I was just a snot, as she calls me, a little snot-nosed reporter working for a small newspaper. My, actually, my college paper the first time. Okay, anyway, I'm going to give Stan a call, and we're going to start this conversation. And I think you're going to enjoy this tonight. Um, I have some graphics to show you. Um, he's written four books. Well, he's written three books, and he's actually done done a video f uh, which I can not show you, but you know, show you the covers of, so that you guys, you know, if you're interested in in purchasing his stuff, we, you know, you can do that. Okay, so let me call him, and uh, we're going live. We are going live. See, this time I actually have everything prepared too. <laughs> the last time I did this, it was nuts. Okay. Hello. Hi, Stan. Yes, it is. Hi, this is Charlotte with California Haunts Radio. Hi, Charlotte. How are you? Good. How are you? Good. Thank you. I'm really excited to have you on. Well, thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself, sir? Oh, yeah. Well, I've been uh, involved in investigating uh, UFOs, Bigfoot, uh, other anomalies, uh, going on 63 years this year. And I guess it's surprising to many people. I've never personally seen a UFO or Bigfoot myself. But I started this when I was 10 years old, back in 1959, just as a curious kid that happened to hear a radio show talking about unusual happenings. And I was curious. And I began to uh, go to the local library and read all the books they had on the subject. And uh, so I got more involved. I was 16 when the incident happened near Kecksburg, Pennsylvania. And I began to go out into the field uh, in December of 65 to begin to investigate these reports. And I've been out there ever since and doing uh, field investigation of these ongoing cases. And, uh, yeah, over the years, uh, 1969, I set up a hotline for the public to report UFO sightings. It never stops ringing with reports. Uh, sightings come in continuously all year round, every year, many reports, even in recent weeks. And uh, so by way of email and phone, many reports come in. And in 1970, uh, I set up the first of three volunteer research groups that would investigate uh, incidents across the state of Pennsylvania. And uh, the first group was set up in 1970, and then we expanded to cover the whole state of Pennsylvania. We started in the Pittsburgh area, and the group was kind of unique in that many of the people involved were specialists. We had scientists, engineers, uh, technicians, uh, police officers, former military people, all kind of specialists volunteered their time around our full-time jobs to investigate the reports. And for many, many years, I had those research groups. And uh, I've been continuing to receive reports, and sightings come in all the time. So it's, it's a fascinating uh, involvement, that's for sure. Well, what I find unique about what you're doing, and we kind of tried to get my, my group kind of like went that direction for a while, but then the guys that, that were doing it went off on their own. Um, is that you not only investigate like ghosts and stuff, you're, you're investigating uh, UFOs and, 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 and mythical, I'm not going to say mythical creatures, but, but cryptids, right? That's correct. Yeah, I've, I've, I've had an interest, of course, in all types of the paranormal. I have a lot of friends and research associates that mainly deal with uh, hauntings and that type of things. Mm -hmm. I deal mainly with uh, UFO reports continuously coming in. Uh, and I deal with, uh, I've interviewed hundreds of Bigfoot witnesses, and that's something I've really focused on. I've, I've uncovered some very interesting, very unusual aspects of the Bigfoot phenomena that a lot of people seem to be unaware of, but more and more people are hearing about it more in recent years. Uh, dealt with 
multitudes of cryptid investigations, which are ongoing, even sightings in recent weeks. So, uh, yeah, I do a lot of very strange things uh, quite often. Well, let's talk about some of those. Um, you know what? When I heard you on, on the other show, you were talking about the Thunderbird. And there's a lot of people that are fascinated by by the Thunderbird. Can you, can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, well, the Thunderbird reports, and it's, it's kind of complex in that there's uh, more to it uh, than just the one description that we quite often hear about. Uh, here in Pennsylvania, I mean, there, there are accounts going back to at least the late 1800s of people seeing these huge flying creatures with this huge wingspans. And again, it, it's very difficult, just like we're doing with UFO cases, it's very difficult to judge altitude and, and size of something in the sky. Mm -hmm. But here in Pennsylvania, cases I've been involved in, we have incidents where these huge flying creatures, and, and many sightings in daylight, by the way, at a close range. So some of these, whatever these things were, they were low altitude, some very low to the ground. And in some cases, they were actually on the ground where they were blocking vehicles. They were eating roadkill and blocking people from passing on the road. So people got a very look, good look at these things. And um, so anyhow, typically, a lot of the reports of these huge overgrown, oversized giant birds, generally dark brown or black in color. And um, we've had some cases, that there was one case I remember, and actually it was from a neighboring uh, state of West Virginia back in, I believe it was 2007, where a fellow was riding down early morning, was riding down a two-lane uh, rural road, and he suddenly had to hit his brakes because there's this huge, huge creature right in front of him on the road, it's at least four and four and a half feet tall. It's taller than the top of his vehicle. It was hopping from one leg to the other, flapping its wings. It was eating roadkill. They were staring at each other. And this thing was trying to get off the ground. And, and it finally did. But before it did, as the fellow's watching this thing, now he can see the wingtips. So he can see from one end of the, of the wing of the road to the other. And he can see this dust and dirt flying up on both ends of the road. And it finally gets off the ground. And he was, he was just amazed. So he was so amazed about what happened that he came back the next day to measure the width on the road. It was 21 feet across, wow. which is amazing. But so you've got a lot of these reports of this huge oversized bird, approximately 10 to 20 foot wingspan. Of course, it's very difficult to judge. But in some cases, again, people were very close and got a pretty good idea of the wingspan. Now, in other cases, we have these, this other category of these huge flying creatures that are featherless and have a leathery skin to them, leathery wings, and like giant bats. And quite often they're, they're a darker color or, or black in color. So we have those kind of reports as well. And um, so those are interesting. And then I have inter people I've interviewed. And again, in all these different cases, I, I people I've interviewed, whether it's a UFO sighting, whether it's a Thunderbird, a Bigfoot, Mm -hmm. uh, some of the other oddities we're talking about, all kind of strange creature sightings and out-of-place animal reports that I've been investigating for years and years. Most of these people never believed any of these stories. Or some have never heard them. Some did hear them, but they never believed them until they had their own personal encounter. And for so many of these people, it was a life-changing experience, especially a lot of these fellows that were hunting for years and years and outdoorsmen who mm -hmm. used to laugh at these accounts until they had their own personal encounter, for example, with a Bigfoot. And their lives were dramatically changed. But when you have so many different people from far-reaching areas that don't know each other and they give you very similar details, very similar accounts, then you can't just dismiss these reports. So one of the other categories of reports are people who swear that what they saw 
look prehistoric. Mm -hmm. So people have given very detailed accounts and given us some very interesting drawings of what they believe to be pterodactyls or pterodactyls. So that's quite interesting, too. And then it gets even a little stranger when we have these reports of um, these winged humanoids, tall winged humanoid creatures that have been reported as well. One of the more interesting ones here in Pennsylvania has been now kind of nicknamed the Butler Gargoyle that I investigated when it happened back in March of 2011. And um, that was a quite an interesting case as well. And uh, you know, if you're interested, I'll be glad to uh, give you some details of some of those kind of reports also. Absolutely. You know, a question I have for you. Uh, I know one time, um, about a year ago, uh, somebody had a Mothman sighting here in Sacramento on, on Tower Bridge. And I was tempted to go, but, the, but one of the other teams went. How do you investigate something you know, like that? I mean, it, like, like, like you say, usually you know, one person sees it. Maybe it's a hunter, you know, sees this thing. So how do you go about investigating? Because obviously, you know, by the time you get out there, the trail's cold. Well, again, in a lot of cases, you know, when I had my research team for years and years and we got these reports, in many cases, uh, my team members or myself or both of us, we were on the scene a lot of cases within minutes to hours after they happened. We did that for years and years, but the, again, you know, there were so many reports that were widespread areas, you couldn't get to every single case. Mm -hmm. And I, I'm sure we'll talk about the massive outbreak in 1973 here, mm -hmm. where we had the biggest UFO Bigfoot outbreak in history, where we uncovered some of the very strange aspects of Bigfoot. And we were able to document that so well, because in many cases, ourselves or the police or both were on the scene within minutes to hours after these things occurred. And uh, so that was an amazing time. I wrote that off in my book called Silent Invasion. Mm -hmm. But, um, and again, in other cases, you know, sometimes you get reports and people wait for days or weeks or months or even years to report. Sure. So yeah, in a lot of cases, you can get out there and it's way beyond any type of uh, physical evidence. And again, not all cases do you have it. In some cases, yes, we found physical evidence at the scene of certain incidents over the years. And we were able to document that information in some cases, uh, especially with Bigfoot, we made cast of footprints. Uh, we recovered other materials, especially back in the 70s. We had labs examine them. But um, in a lot of cases, all you can do is go out and interview people. You go out, you interview the person, uh, you get all the details. Um, if we can, we get them to draw sketches of what they saw. But um, then, again, what's so interesting is quite often we'll get independent reports come in when other people don't even know it. Hmm. And uh, so it's really interesting because other people will later confirm other people's accounts, sometimes even weeks, months, or years later. And uh, But the details are so similar, and the patterns are so similar in some cases to what we've been coming up with. So, again, it's just looking at a huge body of data. There's a lot of, a lot of data out there. And, and, you know, it's not just from the cases I've worked on, which have been thousands and thousands of cases. Mm -hmm. uh, since I've been out in the field in 1965, and it, it's unending. I mean, right through the last few weeks, I mean, a lot of reports coming in. I, I can tell you, the last few years here in Pennsylvania have been just amazingly busy. Last year, uh, 2021, very, very busy. And surprisingly, in most cases, when we come into the fall and winter months, reports generally quiet down with the change in the, the weather conditions. Mm -hmm. But that didn't happen this year. In October, we began to get a, uh, a, a steady surge a really detailed, low-level UFO incident is being reported. And then right through this year, right into January and right up to the last week, it's been one after the other UFO reports. We've had Thunderbirds. We've had uh, some Bigfoot activity. 
We've had other strange things going on. It, it's just amazing what's going on. We can't even imagine how much of this is going on that we don't hear about. So it's not just reports I get. I'm in touch with many other uh, researchers and groups around Pennsylvania and other areas. They're all getting reports, too. We can't even imagine how many things are going on that are never reported. And what, why do you think that is? I mean, could it be because, you know, we were all locked up for so long that maybe these creatures felt, that, you know, like you saw videos and stuff anyway like this on the news where, like, the, the, the wolves were, were coming into towns and stuff because people weren't out, you know, any longer. Kind of like I nature, nature was taking I, things I over. Really think what we're dealing with had that much to do with, with the pandemic. I mean, again, I was surprised with the amount of activity going on even uh, during the pandemic. And again, mm -hmm. some of the people from the towns during that time, they were going out in the country and walking out in more rural areas, and some of them were encountering things. But it's not just rural areas. We're, we're getting reports of these incidents in more and more over more populated areas. And it's not just since the pandemic. I mean, this has been going on for years and years. You know, again, my hotline started in 1969. Every year, all year round, all type of weather conditions, whether it's snowstorms, thunderstorms, beautiful afternoons, reports come in year round every year. And it varies with activity year by year. But uh, again, the last two years have been very active. Uh, last year, this year. And uh, so it's really interesting what's going on. You're getting detailed reports. Hmm. And again. Are you there? Yeah, go ahead. Okay, I thought kind of I lost each other. I, yeah, I thought I lost you. Um, well, let's talk about these gargoyles because um, th th that interested me too because I I've never heard of that. Okay, well, again, I, I wouldn't say that this is your typical gargoyle report, but this is something some of the locals have kind of called whatever this thing was. And it's a really interesting case. And supposedly and reportedly, I, I'm in touch with uh, another research group up in Butler County, north of Pittsburgh. Supposedly, there have been some other more than one incident, uh, supposedly, of a similar creature in more recent years as well. But this one case, uh, kind of fascinating, this was in uh, March, I believe, of uh, March of 2011. This occurred on a rural area between the towns of Chicor and East Brady. And uh, I've interviewed this witness many, many times. He's a professional person. I uh, got to know him very, very well. So it's late at night. He's riding down this back road. As he's riding down the road, his headlights hit something uh, to the right side of the of the road in the grassy area. So he uh, begins to slow down. He thought at first it was a deer. So uh, as he gets closer to this thing, he realizes it was hunched over, hunched over, and then it stood up. And that's when he observed this very tall, muscular creature that uh, it crossed the two-lane road in three long steps and continued into the woods. And when I interviewed him, he said, he said, you know, I hear people telling me that they've seen Bigfoot around here. But he said, this was not a Bigfoot. He said, this thing was at least eight feet tall. And by the way, it walked in front of a, of a large road sign. Wow. And that road sign was about eight and a half feet, um, around eight feet tall. And this thing um, was right around at least the height of that, maybe a little bit taller. And he said, the creature, whatever it was, it never looked towards him. Mm -hmm. uh, he only saw it from the side. He said the head appeared to be flat, uh, kind of shaped like an aerodynamic helmet. And the face was flat. The eyes were not clearly defined, but he thought there may have been like a point up in the corner. The ears, um, he only stopped on the left side, were flat and came back, and they pointed backwards like a flap. The arms were muscular and a little longer than that of a human. He said the hands looked more like they had claws, 
I said the one trait that really stood out was he had a very muscular legs. And he said that it was hard to explain, but the legs did not move like that of a human. It looked like they bent backwards. And he said they appeared, there appeared to be wings on its back, which were tucked into its body, with the wingtips extending towards the side of its head. So he got a really good look at this thing. And then within days, uh, Dan Hagman, director of the BORU research, research group up in Butler, had several reports uh, from that seminary from different people. And um, one of the reports, in fact, I, uh, I think I have a statement from one of them here. This was up near Reimersburg. And there were two people near the ice cream stand up there. And this thing crossed the road. They said this thing came within 35 feet of them. They said it was at least nine feet tall, had dark brown skin, long arms and broad shoulders, had a pointed head, a flat forehead, pointed ears, and what appeared to be wings on its back. The body was extremely muscular. There were four finger-like claws on each hand. The eyes were squinted but swept upwards at the corner. Uh, the mouth was like a slit. The wings looked like see-through mesh and resembled wings on a bat. The claws were black as coal, and the witness stated that this thing was straight from hell. My gosh, that that's incredible. I don't know what I would do if I saw something like that. <laughs> well, let me tell you, I, I have so many people and again, so many credible people I've interviewed. And, you know, that's something I look at when I interview people. I've been doing that for a long time. I've interviewed, again, thousands of witnesses who have been involved in all type of different type of experiences with various anomalies. And when you get out there and you see some of these grown men, guys been hunting out the woods all their lives, and they're talking to me, and some of these guys have tears coming out of their eyes. They were just in shock because they couldn't believe they saw what they saw. And, and some, I remember one fellow I interviewed four or five years ago face-to-face, -face, and he said, my life was the woods. I love the woods. And he said, I'll never go back in the woods again after seeing that thing. <laughs> Yet there's other witnesses who have seen these things, and they want to go out to get more evidence of what they saw because some of their friends didn't believe what they told what he told them. So each case is different. But, um, again, it, it's just amazing the things that are going on. But my main focus has been on Bigfoot. Okay. The site is going year after year. Every year we're getting reports, including this year and recent weeks. Uh, and many of the Bigfoot sightings, it's not like you see on some of the TV shows. A lot of them kind of indicate where you only see Bigfoot at night. We have many, many Bigfoot sightings here in daylight. Really? And many of these have been at very, very close range. But um, once again, I've learned a lot more about Bigfoot. And my, my whole idea and thoughts of what these creatures were or are changed a lot over the years from the experiences I've had out in the woods investigating these incidents. And I'll be glad to tell you about some of the stranger things that have turned up. Well, let's talk about that. Um, you know, I'm fascinated by Bigfoot. Of course, up, in, up here in Northern California, you know, we have a lot of quite, quite a few sightings, that, you know, up here of our own. And uh, it's always interesting to hear d different types of evidence. So can you share some of that? Yeah. There, you know, for over the years, I had contact with many, many, researchers over different time periods and so unfortunately now that so many of these great researchers have passed away no longer with us i remember one from california uh you can look up her book her, her name was uh, Ann slate and she was a journalist who had written a lot about bigfoot back in the 70s i think the 80s written a very good book um and what was interesting was that some of the things i'll tell you about what i found in pennsylvania she was also finding was occurring in California. And over the years now, some of these very strange things that I started writing about back in the 1970s 
is now being taken much more serious. And I can tell you, big researchers all over the country now and around the world are beginning to re- report on incidents going on like I'm going to talk to you about because it's very strange. And, um, again, you know, I've always said if I hadn't been involved directly in these investigations, interviewed the people, been out on the scene, seen the evidence, seen the patterns, it'd be hard for me to believe that it's been going on for years and years. It's going on more and more around the country, and there's there's a lot more to this than any of us understand. So, anyhow, a lot of this began back in the 70s. And when I first began to notice something was in 1972. But before that, I was investigating Bigfoot sightings here in Pennsylvania in the 1960s. And there had always been rumors and, and, and history and legends about Bigfoot in Pennsylvania. I mean, there's newspaper accounts going back to the 1800s to talk about the wild men of the woods. They didn't call it Bigfoot back in those days. And um, in the 60s, we had Bigfoot sightings going on in different parts of Pennsylvania. Down in the communities, down here in Westmoreland County, we had uh, the rural communities, for example, of uh, West Newton and Lober, and they had what they called the Lober Monster down there. This was a huge seven, eight-foot-tall hair-covered creature that people saw. Uh, some report it was white with white hair, which we do get reports of white-haired creatures. Mm-hmm. They're not that common. We get those reports. And um, they were finding large footprints down there. There have been numerous sightings down in that area over the years and even in more recent years. But um, 1972, I began, began to receive reports from a wooded area, actually only several miles away from where I live, but a rural area of a large wooded area where people had lived there for years and nothing unusual had ever happened. And then I began to get independent reports from various landowners who were reporting these strange howls and cries and screams from the woods, something bipedal heavy and walking in the woods. They began to have report UFO sightings. More importantly, they began to report these small little spheres of light low to the ground around the properties, which that's important for me to talk about that more later on. Mm-hmm. Uh, people reported seeing this broad-shouldered creature chasing dogs in the woods. They were finding strange footprints around their homes. Well, that's when things began to get really interesting. Now, during their earlier years and during that time period, from what I knew about Bigfoot, I was always of the opinion back then that Bigfoot was some type of unknown animal, some type of unknown creature that science had yet to confirm. Well, as things began to occur more and more, the next year, 1973, my thoughts began to change with the amount of data that was coming in. So, again, I, I had my, my first research group was 1970. By 1973, we had extended the cover of the state of Pennsylvania. So my teams were out there investigating all these reports, and we were surprised that we began to get referrals from uh, law enforcement, from the news media. So we were just just being jammed with reports coming in. We're all working full-time jobs. We're all doing this out of our own pockets, but we were doing it. And I had it set up so we could um, respond to cases 24 hours a day when possible, which we did in many cases. And it was very lucky that we were set up because 1973 comes around. And first, we had the biggest UFO outbreak ever documented. That started January 1st of 73, continued to the last day of the year. So back in those days, the local newspapers here in Pennsylvania, some of the statewide papers, even some of the national news, was picking up some of these UFO accounts. There were hundreds and hundreds of UFO reports coming in all year. And many of these were not just lights in the sky. But many of these were large, solid objects low to the ground. They were hovering over highways, over fields. They were 
chasing vehicles. Uh, there were incidents where objects would hover near vehicles and they would lose power or the, their headlights would dim in some cases. There was landing reports. I mean, it was just incredible just with the UFO activity was going on continuously. But then things got so much more interesting in the summer of 73. And that's when we had the biggest outbreak of Bigfoot sightings ever documented. That went on for months and months into 1974. And there have been Bigfoot sightings recorded in Pennsylvania ever since and every year, including this year already. But anyhow, going back to that period of 73, it was an amazing time. And, and how it all began for me, um, this would have been uh, July 31st of 73. This has happened on that date. This is a rural area. A uh, man was uh, in his home out in the country at that time, shaving early because he got up early for work. And um, anyhow, he's uh, in the bathroom shaving, begins to smell this funny rotten odor. It was a warm night. He had the, the, the window was open. The screen was in. Turned around, looked at the window, and here's these two huge glowing red eyes staring at him. But the wind is over eight feet off the ground. And there were several dogs out there, but none of the dogs were making a sound, which they thought that was so odd, because dog, their dogs always bark for anybody that shouldn't be on that property. So he ran into the room, started yelling, and some of the other people came out. They smelled the odor. Whatever was in the window was gone. Well, that guy got pretty shook up. He ended up in the hospital. And I got a call from a relative about that, and he came home a week later, August 7th. I went out to interview him that day, and he was still quite shook up. Well, while I'm there, I found out that several of the local boys had taken a shortcut over to the local mall through the woods and the brush, and they had heard this commotion in the woods. They thought it was a deer, so they started throwing some, some stones, some rocks in to scare out the deer, but instead this seven, eight-foot-tall, huge hair-covered creature with long arms came out of the woods and crossed the road went up behind the house. So I was able to interview some of those boys, and I got permission uh, to go up and look around. A few of those kids followed me up there, and we're looking around up there. And up there, I'm up there quite a while. Remember, I'm on that embankment, and the ground conditions were not real good. And I'm about ready to call it a day when I have to look down, and there was a partial footprint, and there in front of me was the strangest footprint I had ever seen. And the kids came over and said, what kind of animal can make a track like that? It was 13 inches long, 8 inches wide, and clearly three-toed. Wow. So I got on the radio and called one of my assistants, and he came up. We took photographs and measurements, made a cast of it. While we're out there, we get a radio call that one of our investigators north of Pittsburgh that morning was investigating an incident where a person up in that area had seen a creature looking in the window nine feet off the ground. The police had found some large, strange footprints up there. So this was the beginning of this massive Bigfoot wave that went on for weeks and months. And reports are coming in from widespread areas, from all over southwest PA and the other parts of the state. Many daylight sightings, many at close range, in some cases, more than one creature seen together. In many of the incidents, we'd get out there, and there would be uh, footprints, there'd be other evidence at the scene in some cases. It was amazing. We were out there day and night, staking out areas, interviewing people. I mean, it was just an amazing time period. A lot of the local news was covering it, the national news. I uh, was covering some of these incidents as well. So anyhow, again, I had always felt that Bigfoot was some type of unknown creature. Well, one of the first things that we began to notice, began to make us scratch our heads, was something that doesn't make any sense here. And that was, we got to some of these locations within minutes to hours after it happened. Mm -hmm. And here's footprints 
under all type of ground conditions with long strides between them. But in some of these cases, the tracks would abruptly end and be no more tracks where there should have been more tracks. And that was later even the winter in fresh snow, heavy snow. And uh, so that was the first thing that began to catch our attention. And then witnesses were reluctantly telling us that they were seeing this Bigfoot creature, again, in daylight, and instantaneously it would physically vanish, and a few seconds later it would reappear somewhere else close by. And again, these were coming from different people over a widespread area who didn't know each other, telling us the same stories very reluctantly. And then we began to see this pattern. So we'd have a UFO sighting in a particular area. Within minutes to hours of days later, we'd have a Bigfoot sighting or vice versa. And that's when things got even stranger and stranger. And we began to document some of these amazing cases with a UFO and a Bigfoot seen together at the same time and place. So I'm going to take a break for a second, see if you have any questions, and then I'll get into some more details for you. Well, thinking along that line, I've always thought that maybe there there was some kind of link, you know, between the two. You know how how they have the hybrid programs and all this, and I, I and I kind of felt, and this is probably out there to say, but I always felt that maybe Bigfoot was was an experiment. Well, again, there's many many theories out there. Let me tell you, when I when I tell you about some of these stories. None of us have the answers. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've learned more and more about these things, even in more recent years, the different the patterns, the strange aspects of it. Again, it's shown up not only in Pennsylvania, it's shown up in many cases, other places around the country as well. I've been shot with many witnesses and uh, investigators for years who have told me they're, they're documenting the same things now too. But um, and again, it's very, very strange. And, and when I'm talking about some of these cases, I am not suggesting that Bigfoot is coming uh, is a pilot or as a passenger in a spacecraft from another planet that they're extraterrestrial. We don't know what they are. For lack of a better term, and when you hear about some of the cases I'll tell you about, the data is suggesting more and more that we're dealing with something that has a physical and a non-physical component to it. And for a lack of a better term, they might be interdimensional. They, they, they mm-hmm. come into our physical reality under certain conditions. They can leave physical evidence at times, and then they're gone. And that's what's so strange, and maybe that's why we've never come up with a body of Bigfoot. But there's a lot more to this than any of us understand. Question in the chat room is, um, why do you think the government is trying to discredit all this? Well, I, again, now I'm not sure if we're talking about the UFO subject, the Bigfoot subject. Um as we get into this, I'll, I'll tell you about some of the instances of 73. Okay. Remind me to tell you about some of the interest uh, that the government appeared to have in some of the investigations we were doing back in 73. Okay. But, um, as you know, as the, the public is hearing more and more about it in more recent weeks and months, the government is now at least taking a more serious interest in the UFO phenomena. They're actually calling now the UAP, Unidentified Aerial Phenomena, a phenomenon, whatever we're dealing with, but at least they're acknowledging that at least trained military personnel, among others, are seeing things they cannot explain. So now they have a new office to investigate these reports. Uh, we've heard news reports coming out in recent weeks that NASA is now getting involved yes. in part of the investigation. So at least now they're acknowledging the fact that these things are ongoing and they are ongoing because I deal with these things year after year, all year round. Mm-hmm. And, and I'm not the only one. 
say it's something that needs to have a very serious investigation, regardless of what these things might be. Well, I just think it's fascinating, and and it's, the, the government knows a lot more than what it's telling us. That's for I, sure. I have no doubt. Let, and talking about the UFO uh, phenomena at this point, right? I, I've always said the government knows a lot more about the UFO mystery than they're telling us. But I personally, I don't believe they have the answers themselves. They know it's ongoing. It's a worldwide phenomenon. It's nothing new. It's been going for years and years all over the world. And whatever we're dealing with. I think we're dealing with something that's so beyond our present scientific understanding, nobody understands it right now, which is one of the reasons why there's so much secrecy. But um, I think sometime in the future we're going to know a lot more. I don't think it's going to happen anytime soon. Well, um, let's talk about those the, 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 those cases that, that you want to discuss in 73. Okay, well, again, I'm going to give you some of the briefer part. We can talk for hours just about some of these cases. Uh, anyhow... Among the many cases that happened, it was an incident that happened October 25th, 1973, up in Fayette County, PA. You'll probably hear me talking about Fayette County. It's one of the areas, uh, especially in the, uh, locations along the Chestnut Ridge. You'll hear me talking about that as well. The Chestnut Ridge is a mountain range that extends from uh, southwest PA through the areas of Westmoreland, where I'm at, Fayette, Indiana County. It extends down into out to West Virginia, outside of Morgantown, a few miles outside of Morgantown. This is probably one of the most active areas in the country year after year for all kind of anomalies. UFO sightings, Bigfoot encounters, cryptids, uh, mystery booms, underground sounds, all kind of strange things going all along the especially in areas in Westmore and Fayette County. So going back to that case, October 25th, 1973. Uh, there were multiple UFO reports coming in for 24 hours on my UFO hotline on that date. But it was about 10.30 that night, I got a call from a state trooper from the Uniontown State Police Barracks. He just came back from investigating this incident. He said, um, he asked me if I could get a team set up to the area as soon as possible, that he thought it was possible there was something still on the farm. So what I found out was that about 9 o'clock that evening, there were 15 witnesses in that rural area that observed this huge barn-sized round sphere, uh, red in color, about 100 feet off the ground, hovering and slowly moving downward. And um, so the, the son of the property owner was coming out to visit his parents. He's coming down the farm lane. He sees the object. He sees these people standing outside looking at this object. So he goes to a neighbor's house at a better location, get a better look, and it looks like this huge round sphere is going to land on his dad's farm. So he and two young neighbor boys, they decide they want to go see what this thing is. So he goes over to his dad's farm and grabs a .30-06, a handful of ammunition, and they proceed down the farm lane towards the pasture. Well, all the dogs around the area are going crazy. They had this high-pitched whining noise and these baby crying sounds, and they all get louder as they get closer to the pasture. And they angled the truck that they're in, leave the headlights on so they can see the path going up the hill for them to walk. Mm -hmm. They also noticed, unusually, unusual was the fact that the headlights were dimming. Like someone was draining the power from the headlights, they had never noticed that before. And uh, they finally make their way up to the top of the hill, get to the pasture, and about 250 feet away, Here's this object on the ground right above it. But it's no longer a big 
round red sphere, it's a big white dome, like a half a sphere, a big white dome about 100 feet in diameter, illuminating the whole area, making that loud whining noise. So they're standing there looking at this thing, trying to figure out what this thing is. Their attention is drawn about 75 feet away to a barbed wire fence. And along that barbed wire fence, that is two huge, tall, hair-covered Bigfoot-like creatures walking very slowly along the barbed wire fence in their direction, one behind the other. The one in the front's about eight feet tall. The smaller one's about seven feet tall. These things are bipedal. They're walking upright, uh, kind of bent over a little as they're moving. They're covered with long, dark, matted hair hanging off the body. They have no neck. They have large, glowing, green, luminous eyes. The arms are so long, they're hanging down, almost touching the ground. The one young boy is so frightened, he, he ran out of the field. The other young boy starts yelling at the older fellow to shoot him, shoot at him. So he didn't realize it at the time, the dog was a 30 on six. He didn't realize that among the ammunition he had, he had two tracer bullets. Mm-hmm. So the guys out there that hunt, they know you just get that luminous trail when you fire the tracer. So he fires the first shot, the tracer, over top of their head. Interestingly, he fires the second shot, which is the second tracer. And here's what's so interesting. He fires the second tracer. The largest of the two creatures reaches out with his one hand as it grab the tracer, makes this loud, whining, crying sound. And at the moment it does that, that huge object in the field physically vanishes and disappears. It doesn't take off or rise on the ground. It's just gone. So most of the luminosity is gone. Uh, the whirling sound stops. The creatures turn around and start walking back along the, the fence line towards the woods. The guy is now firing live ammo from a 30 6 into the creatures. He's been hunting for years and years. And he always said to me before he passed away, he said, I'll never forget how that big creature with his glowing green eyes kept staring at me as I'm pumping live ammo into it and has no effect on them whatsoever. Mm. So they were so frightened. They ran out of there and ran back to the truck, went to the farmhouse, got the family out of there, took them to a neighbor's and called the state police. Well, the short part of the story is when the state trooper arrived on the scene, uh, they went up in the troop car to look for evidence in the witness. And the the trooper told me the area where the object was reportedly on the ground was self-luminescent glowing, about 100 feet or more in diameter. He said um, he shined his flashlight beam to it. He could barely see the beam. He said, if I had a newspaper, he said, I'm sure I could read the newspaper from the luminosity coming off the glow. He also noticed the farm animals wouldn't go anywhere near that glowing area. And... um, I was also told that after they left the scene and went back to the state police barracks, but the trooper and the witness were taken to two separate rooms, separately interviewed. Then they called me to set up my team, which we did. We got our equipment together. We got our radiation equipment. We got our radios, other gear. And we got up there during the early morning hours. We were up there pretty much all night, early morning hours. And a lot more happened during the night. And um, it's too involved to get into. I wrote the whole things up in my silent invasion book. Mm-hmm. Probably one of the strangest cases ever documented. And that was the case that convinced me and some of the skeptical researchers I had in my group, because I had some pretty hardcore scientists in my group, that there was something going on here. It was a lot stranger than you understood. We didn't have the answers. So that was one among many other cases that were going to happen where we had a really good UFO incident 
and then we had a Bigfoot at the same time. So prior to that, uh, prior to that, we had another incident among others north of Pittsburgh, where two witnesses that observed a, a seven, eight foot tall, white haired Bigfoot running across the road towards the woods. But in one of his hands, it was glowing, carrying a glowing ball of light. Wow. Within, and it ran off into the woods. And a few minutes later, this large object came across the sky, projected a beam of light into the woods where the creature ran into. So that again, like, what was that all about? But then things got even much more unusual, if it get any more unusual, much stranger as, as the weeks went on. And there was a case that happened in February of 74. That was the case that convinced me that, for lack of a better term, we're dealing with a creature that is not flesh and blood, but may well be, again, interdimensional. And if you want me to tell you that story, I'd be glad to share that as well. Yes, please do. Okay, so that was February 6, 1974. This is way, way up in the mountains. Uh, in, again, Fayette County. Um, some of your listeners will remember the time period. There was a big national trucker strike. There was gas rationing across the country, so a lot of people remember that. Uh, there was a lot of violence across the highways at that time. So back here in Pennsylvania, you had the, you had National Guard members patrolling with the state police. And it was interesting because some of those members from both teams responded to this incident. I couldn't get gas that night where I live, so I couldn't get up to the scene early the next morning. But what happened was, um, so this, this woman lived in a little cabin deep in the mountains and up in that Fayette County area. She was sitting there and watching TV as she normally did. She began to hear this commotion on her little front porch. She had some empty soda cans, some pop cans out there, and someone was knocking the pop cans around. And a few weeks before, there had been some a dog, a pack of dogs came through, and she thought, I bet you those dogs are back again. So she thought, I'll just grab my shotgun and I'll fire over their head and scare those dogs away. So she grabs a 16-gauge double-barrel shotgun, loads one chamber, walks up to the front uh, door, and there's a switch on the door to turn on the light outside on the porch. She switches on the light, opens the door, and steps out. But there's no dog. And only a few feet in front of her, I believe it was about um, six feet in front of her, is this huge seven-foot-tall, hair-covered Bigfoot standing right in front of her. As soon as she turned the light on, it raised his arm straight up over his head. And how does she respond? She fires right into it. She said there's this bright flash of light, like a, a flash or a strobe on a camera, and that huge hairy creature physically vanishes and disappears. But what's more interesting, well, a part of the story is even more interesting, is her in-laws live about 100 feet away, they heard the gunshot. They called and asked her what she's shooting at. She explained to him what happened. So her son-in-law grabs his sidearm, starts running down the road. And at some point before he got to the cabin, he's, he, apparently he's surrounded by a group of uh, four or five hairy people with uh, hairy people with eyes like coals of fire. Started shooting at him randomly, runs into the cabin. And about the same time, there's this large luminous object covering over the trees at the same time well they became pretty shook up and that's when they called for the state police and um so you had members again of, of both units that got there but it took them quite a while 
up in those mountains to find the location. And I talked to the primary investigator, and he told me, he said, by the time they found the place, whatever happened up there was done. However, he said, something very strange happened up there. And he said the witnesses were very credible. They were extremely upset, very emotional, very scared. But what he, what he based his findings on was the animal reactions. Mm-hmm. Now, I told you I've never seen a Bigfoot UFO myself, but I have seen the animal reactions soon after Bigfoot had been at, the, at a location. And I can tell you very commonly in many, many cases, even the most ferocious dogs, when they're near these Bigfoot creatures, they're just like paralyzed. They shake, they cower, they won't bark, they don't move. Um, we've heard reports sometimes they won't eat right for several days later. Sometimes their eyes will roll around, but they won't move. And that's what he told me. So when he got there, they had several big dogs and other animals. The dogs wouldn't make a sound. Um, so he was, he was certain that something strange happened based on the animal reactions. I got up there early the next morning. When we got up there, all the dogs were barking as normal. But uh, it was a very, very interesting case. We did a lot of investigation on it. And uh, that was the case, among others, that suggested we're dealing with something much stranger than an unknown animal. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Now, I have a question about uh, missing persons. Did you have a lot of cases of, 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 of people going missing up there? No, we do not. Now, I, I'm very much aware of, of the book you're referring to. And, um, you know, that's something, and I've heard of it, and I, and I understand a lot of those cases, other parts of the country are very interesting. A lot of them are very well documented. Here in Pennsylvania, I can tell you, I, it's just something that doesn't show up. I, you know, I had many contacts over the years. If we had heard of cases where there was some type of missing person related with the Bigfoot sightings, we would have heard about it. It's just something that's mm-hmm. not common. In, in the many, many cases I've had with Bigfoot, where people have had them walk out in front of the cars, people have been kind of living in the woods, these things seem to be curious of human activity. I, I can't think of any cases right offhand. It's a, not a common thing whatsoever where they went after people, tried to hurt anybody. Yes, we have cases where they have thrown pretty good-sized rocks or small boulders towards people or large branches of people instead of scare them away. But like so many witnesses said, if these things wanted to hurt them, they could easily have done it. And that doesn't seem to be the case. Well, that was my next question about the people that are out looking for them. Do you think that they're in in, any kind of danger? Well, again, there's a lot we just don't know about these creatures or whatever Mm -hmm. they might be. There's a lot of mystery about it, again, that's very unusual. We we barely even touched on the subject. And, uh, you know, again, dealing with what we're dealing with, in most cases, these creatures don't, don't stand around very long. I mean, quite often, once they're seen, they normally move off. And uh, so that's very common. And I've had cases that were pooping out in the woods. People have had uh, campfires going. I've had these things enter uh, pretty close to camping areas. But once they're seen by the human witnesses, they generally leave the area. But uh, once again, I don't recommend people shooting at them. During the 70s, uh, there were cases where people did shoot at them with various type of weapons. Nobody ever brought one down. And again, we had those strange cases, like the one where the woman shot at it and it disappeared in a flash of light. So again, we don't know what we're dealing with. And um, it's a much stranger phenomenon than many people realize. And there's similarities with some of the UFO phenomena. And that's what's uh, really intriguing. For example, you know, when you heard about a lot of the classic, what we'll call classic UFO cases of large structured objects, 
uh, especially back in the even the 50s and 60s and early years, and these things hovering over vehicles. And sometimes mm-hmm. when they hovered near vehicles, you would have a, a loss of power in the vehicle. The headlights would dim. The objects would move off. They would gain power. The headlights would come back on. Something that's not very well known with Bigfoot, but there are cases I've investigated, and there's others around the country where a Bigfoot has walked out near a car, and when the creature was near the car, the power began to, the vehicle began to lose power. And as they got further away or the creature moved off, the power came back on. So you have these electromagnetic effects reported with Bigfoot as well. One of the patterns I found years ago, and it's still something that shows up very commonly, is that many close-range, low-level UFO sightings and many encounters with Bigfoot and other cryptids often occur in the vicinity of high-energy sources. So they commonly occur around high-tension power lines, uh, power plants, uh, radio towers, cell phone towers, gas wells, gas lines, bodies of water, railroad tracks. It goes on and on. I have no doubt that whatever we're dealing with somehow has a energy connection to the phenomena, whatever it might be. This is all really, I mean, this is, this is new stuff that I'm hearing. Now, what, what states do you think have, have the most sightings? Is, this, is it still California or, or is that changing? You know, I, I don't think anybody, and I can tell you, you know, again, we've had hundreds and hundreds of incidents of Bigfoot here in Pennsylvania. Mm-hmm. And I would say we have very, very good documented cases here. But again, historically, in the Pacific Northwest, right. uh, California's had a lot of reports, Oregon. So, I mean, you've got many, many parts of the country where there's a lot of activity going on. I don't think there's really any really one database just like with UFOs, that gives you that uh, idea of exactly how much is going on where and the amount of activity. But it's going on all over the country. I, don't, I can't think of any place uh, within, the, within uh, the common part of the United States where there haven't been Bigfoot sightings. These things go on everywhere. And uh, it's a very complex phenomena. And the thing is, what I find out is, one, you can have a Bigfoot sighting or a cryptid sighting, UFO sighting, anywhere. But there are certain areas, for whatever reason, where the phenomena seems to be more uh, more active. And we've all heard of the Skinwalker Ranch. Well, if, if you read about some of the things I wrote about in the 70s, and I later wrote about, and, and again, the Silent Invasion book, which goes into great detail about these things that we don't have time to talk about. Right. There were many incidents in there that were similar when one years later you heard about the Skinwalker Ranch. But all over the country now, you're hearing from various researchers, you're seeing TV shows covering it. There are, there are various locations, including a number of them here in Pennsylvania, which are ongoing, even in recent weeks, that the phenomena seems to focus on. Now, some of these locations have had a long history of paranormal phenomena, They've had these small orbs of light seen close to the ground, UFOs, screams and howls and footprints and Bigfoot, Black Panther sightings, Thunderbird sightings in some cases, all kind of weird things going on. This, Whatever it is that we're dealing with, sometimes it seems to focus on a particular area. That can last for days, weeks, months, or years. And um, I was involved, uh, and, and other researchers back, oh, see how my memory is, Summer of 1979, 
on the border of Westmoreland and Armstrong County here in Southwest PA. And from what I remember, this all began after uh, some kind of an object fell from the sky into a wooded area one afternoon. And soon after that, they began to hear the locusts began to hear screams and cries and see strange lights in the woods and Bigfoot sightings. And it really began to pick up in 19, I think, 80, 81, 82. It went on for years. And a lot of weird, weird things. And, and that was such an interesting case that it actually got into the local, one of the major newspapers carried a story on it. And one of the local TV stations did a, a special news TV report on it. And that was just so fascinating. And now these incidents are going on all over the country. So it, it's just whatever we're dealing with, it is so unusual. It is so strange. And once again, I'll say I think we're dealing with something that's so beyond our scientific understanding right now that nobody understands what we're dealing with. I just wonder if it, it has something to do with the land itself. I mean, like like with ghost hunting, you know how like like where there's a lot of caves like up here in our gold country. Um, the activity tends to be higher because you've got the water, you know, underneath the ground hitting that granite and stuff, you know, causing that EMF to go up. And I just wonder if it's something like that, that that's attracting them. Well, again, I mentioned to you about the similarity and the pattern with the, the energy connection, which is true. I can tell you that, again, back going back to the 70s, because everything was so well documented because we were out there very quickly investigating the incidents as they were occurring. And in some cases... If we had a Bigfoot setting near a cave or a mine, mm -hmm. we, would, we, would, we would get into some of those caves and mines and search for evidence. And we never found any evidence that these things were staying in any of those caves or mines, for example. And um, it's, it's something that we don't hear about that often. And once again, another part of the Bigfoot mystery is the fact that in more recent years, we're not just getting Bigfoot sightings in wooded areas. We're getting now in, near major cities in the suburbs of cities where there's not a lot of woods around, um, that, that's what's so fascinating. And there's a, again, there's there's so much more to this. Any is understand it's not it's that this the footprints that just end abruptly, which is going on again in more recent years. That those things are never stopping. Mm -hmm. uh, it's just really really strange things. And I think more and more you're going to be hearing more and more about these different things that are occurring. Well, again, like I said, you know, when we talk about, like, like you were talking about how they, so it seems like sometimes they, they will drain, like, the energy from a car. So it strikes me that, you know, you, you also see, you know, UFOs around volcanoes. You see Bigfoot around volcanoes, you know, in that kind of area where there's high, where, where there's high energy levels. So maybe that's why they're there. And just like with people, it's like, it's like, when, it's like when a ghost takes you know comes in and, and takes some of your energy away from you and maybe that's what it is it's a big energy draw and again you know there right. are so many ideas and theories that there none of us know the answers right we don't right. know that but here's again here's the thing that's interesting with a lot of the ufo reports you're hearing and again a lot of cases i've investigated are not just high altitude lights in the sky many mm -hmm. of these cases i investigated are large structured in some cases what appear to be solid metallic objects very, very low to the ground, uh, and, and some really, really detailed report. Now, I'll be glad to tell you about some of those as well. Sure. But here's what's intriguing. Even in daylight, even in recent years, we have these large, solid objects. So we have these huge, solid, metallic, cigar-shaped objects. You get these large, triangular objects. Uh, over the years, again, in more recent years, we've had more and more reports of these huge, solid, rectangular objects low to the ground. 
which are fascinating reports as well. But in some cases, the objects, which are there in plain sight, they suddenly begin to slowly fade away and vanish and disappear. Or they'll just suddenly appear out of nowhere. They'll physically change from one form to another, and then they'll vanish and disappear. And in many cases, even in recent weeks, you've got these large objects and other luminous objects that are seen, some at very close range, and they, they won't just take off and leave the area. They just vanish and disappear right in front of the witness's eyes. That's happened in recent weeks again. And it's just amazing. But let me give you an example of just a, a couple of the really interesting cases I've investigated. These are the kind of reports that you cannot easily dismiss. And I'm the first one to tell you, since I've been out in the field in 65, and even as recent as today, when we had reports, uh, we heard some reports coming in of these strange uh, cloud-like objects in the sky in eastern PA, where they turn out to throw lenticular clouds. It's a meteorological phenomena, and they look strange, but there's an explanation. So, first of all, one, many UFO sightings are misidentifications of natural or man-made objects. And I'm the first one to tell you that. And mm -hmm. I'm always trying to find explanations before we'll say that there's something unusual. So there's a lot of misidentifications, but every year you're getting incidents coming in you cannot easily dismiss, such as some of the ones I'm going to tell you about in a minute. And you have misidentification even with Bigfoot. We've had huge hairy dogs that we're seeing. We've had bear sightings. We've had hunters and camouflage outfits. So we've had things that were misidentifications of Bigfoot, but we have multitudes of Bigfoot sightings where people, I mean, actually were within 5, 10, 15 feet away from these creatures, that close, some even in daylight over the years. Uh, it's amazing. And you don't hear about these reports because the majority of witnesses want no publicity. Mm -hmm. but, mm -hmm. but let me give you an example of some of the UFO cases uh, that I was involved with that are not easily dismissible. So you have one, September 3rd, 1987. This was on Route 30, uh, busy highway east of Greensburg. So we're talking about 30 miles outside of Pittsburgh. So many people in the area had multiple witnesses, including law enforcement. So early that evening, around 8.30, uh, they observed this object um, coming um, at a distance. It's coming in over the high-tension power lines. It's about... Uh, 300 feet high off the ground above the power lines, moving along the lines, and it's going to be moving across the main highway, across Route 30. So this object, it was uh, kind of a cigar-shaped object, about 300 feet in length, and um, it looked about the length of two Goodyear blimps. The elongated uh, object appeared to be silver or dull gray surface, moving about 50, 60 miles an hour. There was no sound whatsoever. It was, again, only about 300 feet off the ground, multiple lights on it. Uh, they watch this thing moving horizontally across the sky. As it goes over and across the road towards the, the power substation, it turns vertical in the sky, this huge object, and when it does, all the power in the area goes out. It comes back vert back horizontal and moves out, out of the area. So numerous people saw this thing. Behind the mall area, they had an area where they had... Um, some of the, the movie theaters, and that power never came back on. So when some of the engineers went out to investigate from the power company, they found that all three of the master fuses in the feed line had been blown. Now, apparently, it's something that's highly unusual. And I've had many, many incidents of objects hovering around power stations, hovering over high-tension power lines, 
there's for years and years been an interest in the power grid system from what I've been able to see. So here's another case I'll tell you about. This is another one I think is very fascinating. June 1st, 2013. This is North Huntington, also on Route 30. And um, so this woman, who, by the way, did not believe in UFOs until this experience and her three-year-old child, they're coming out of a convenience store. It's right after 10 o'clock in the evening. They're heading eastbound. And they're riding down the road. And suddenly, uh, the driver, she has to hit the brakes in the car. And when I talked to her, she said, she said, I couldn't believe it. She said, there's cars way down the road, there's cars way behind me, and there's nobody nearby me at the time. <laughs> and she said she had to slow down because there's this huge object about 150 feet away at first hovering um, about 60 feet above that section of the road. And she said it was mostly rectangular, looked like the gondola of a blimp without the blimp. It was a solid object um, that was covering both uh, westbound and eastbound lanes of the highway, about 55 feet long, about 35 to 40 feet tall. There were two tiers uh, of the object. The top section was made up of five sets of green lights, three individual rectangular lights in each set. The five sets were all evenly spaced in a vertical position. The lights were all steady, non-blinking. The witness said the green color was brighter than the green of a traffic light. The bottom section was smaller in size, contained within it two long, solid red lights that were placed side by side. The two lights were steady and never blinked. They gave the witness the impression of looking like brake lights, but they were huge. Uh, she was on the cell phone at the time, and she had to pass underneath the object to get to her home. Her three-year-old child yells out, Mommy, flying iPad in the sky. And that was kind of an interesting reaction. But as she goes underneath the object, she loses her cell phone signal. She notices a digital display on her car on the dashboard for the clock, the temperature, the airbag status, uh, the Bluetooth connection. They all blacked out. The radio after radio station she was listening to went off the air. And she tried to take a picture of the object with her iPhone and the camera malfunctioned and would not let her take the picture. Well, she got up away about a half, quarter mile away, all the electronics came back up on her vehicle. Those are the kind of cases that you don't hear about that often. And these are the important cases that need, these kind of cases need to be investigated because these are cases you cannot easily dismiss. Oh, absolutely. You know, this has been the most fascinating hour I've had in a long time talking with you. Well, I thank you very much, and we didn't even begin to get talking. There are so many cases. There's so much going on. Uh, my new book just came out. It's called Creepy Cryptids and Strange UFO Encounters in Pennsylvania, which is on Amazon. But it gets into a lot of the strange patterns that I found with cryptids and UFOs. gets into creature cases and cryptid cases that nobody, that I'm sure, have never heard of before. There's some very strange things in the new book, uh, which is available on Amazon. Well, you know what? I would like to continue this conversation and have you on another time as well. Is that okay? No, sure. We will have to schedule something down the road in the future, yes. Sounds good. Thank you so much, Stan. I appreciate it. How can people find you? Uh, they can go to my website, which is stangordon.info, I-N-F-O. Uh, email, well, contact information on the website. It's P-A-U-F-O at Comcast.net. Uh, hotline number is 724 724- Eight three eight seven seven six eight. Uh, all of my books. Uh, if they want to know a lot about that strange 
time period of 73 with all the mm -hmm. UFO and Bigfoot and some of the really weird things that were involved with, the men in black cases that turned up, if you want to call them that. Somebody had an interest in what we were doing. That's called Solid Invasion, the Pennsylvania UFO Bigfoot Casebook. Uh, my other books are on there, and the new book, Creepy Cryptids, is on Amazon, and I think people find it very fascinating. All right. Well, thank you so much, sir. I really appreciate you coming on. Okay. Thanks for having me on. Have a good evening. You too. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye. Okay, that was really fascinating, and uh, we, we covered a lot of ground tonight with the show. I'm just fascinated by that stuff. In fact, I'm a big fan of, you know, those uh, those Alaska shows where, you know, they see all kind of, I mean, Alaska's really active, too, you know, where they see a lot of stuff there. In fact, they've even seen, like, dinosaurs, you know, like the little dinosaurs in Jurassic Park that nip at people's heels. <laughs> they've seen stuff like that by the side of the road. But this was absolutely fascinating. I definitely want to get try and get him back on maybe next month or in August because that, that would be great to talk to him. I mean, I, we could sit here all day and, talk, and, and pick his brain about stuff. Uh, tomorrow now is going to be an interesting show. Keith Linder is going to be with, Linder is going to, Linder is going to be with us. Um, in fact, this one's near and dear to my heart because the, 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 the team that went to Washington, the team, one of the teams in Washington that investigated this man's house, Actually, the team members, uh, the leader of the team was from my team. It, it was it, Mickey McIntyre went out there and did this investigation, and that, that was with um, that was with or the, the the you know like her team, and uh, and I remember because this thing was on um, Ghost Adventures. Even Zach, you know, Zach went out, so it's going to be interesting to talk to Keith Linder. In fact, I'm going to talk to Mickey tomorrow before I do the show and uh, get some tips from her. You know, yeah what direction I should take this because they, according to Mr. Linder, who wrote a book about the experience, it was terrifying for them. And it, yeah, it was a poltergeist case. It was terrifying for him. And so I'm looking forward to talking to him tomorrow as well. So that'll be at 6 30 PM Pacific. And that's a one-on-one, -on -one, no phone interview. So it's going to, you're going to get to see what he looks like. So we can, you know, we can check him out and all that. But anyway, I want to thank everybody for coming tonight. And, uh, Wow, I just can't say enough about this this gentleman that was on. I definitely gotta gotta gotta, gotta get him back on the show. Uh, if you haven't already, please subscribe to YouTube. And you're on YouTube, please please subscribe. Uh, there's that little ghost down in the bottom right hand corner with the magnifying glass and the Sherlock Holmes hat on. Please do subscribe because we have a lot of other shows like this, and we also have shows of other topics. And so, if you look real carefully on on, on that YouTube page, there's probably something for everybody. As far as you know, informational shows go. This is what I like to do. I like to I like to bring information to people. I'm a journalist. I'm a photojournalist. This is my thing. You know, my gig. I like to I like to teach people, just like with our ghost hunting. I like to, to, to educate people when, when when you know when we're on location helping people. If you're still if you're watching on Facebook, please please hit that follow button. And of course, if you're watching on Twitch, please hit that follow button. But I want to thank everybody for coming tonight. And uh, the chat room was full, lot, lots of comments, lots of questions. I love it. I love it. Love it. Love it. And I will probably, and I will more than probably, I will see you guys tomorrow. And don't forget about Friday being this special, two, the, the special event. You know, we're, we're gonna we're gonna celebrate Friday. Anyway, uh, if you like the show, share it with five people. If you hated the show, share it with five of your enemies. We're equal opportunity here at California Haunts Radio. You want to check out the paranormal team, CaliforniaHaunts.org. 
And if you want to check out the radio show, that is CaliforniaHauntsRadio.com. And we have our archives going back to some of the Blog Talk years when, when we were on Blog Talk. In fact, the confusion that people have is when you go to Apple Podcasts to check us out, there's two California haunts on there. And that's because the, 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 the one California haunts is the Blog Talk California haunts. And then we have the California haunts that's going on now. So there, there's two separate California haunts, but you can check out all of those shows. There's just so many from, from those 10 years at Blog Talk that, that we did. But anyway, I wanna, again, I want to thank you guys, and I will see you all. Well, let me get over here and click my buttons. I will see you all tomorrow, and I'm going to give you uh, Stan's information, content information. One last thing. If you see that thing uh, flashing below as it goes on the ticker, just like at the news stations, that's because California Haunts does not take any money or anything for our investigations. We work off donations only. And everything you see here, including the computers and all this, and all the paranormal equipment that we use, comes out of my pocket. So if you could find it in your heart to uh, help keep us on the air and help us bring more guests like Stan, that would be great. PayPal.com at California Haunts. Or if you're uncomfortable with PayPal, Venmo, and then type in California Haunts. Again, I want to thank you guys, and I will see you tomorrow. And here's Stan's information. Website, StanGordon.info. And Really Mysterious Pennsylvania is one of his books. As is Silent Invasion, the Pennsylvania UFO Bigfoot Casebook. Astonishing Encounters. A video that he made, UFO Crash in Kecksburg, The Untold Story. And, of course, he told you about his new book. And those, of course, are available at Amazon. Again, I want to thank you guys so much. And be sure, if, you, if, you, if you're over at TikTok, check us out on TikTok. We're over at TikTok under California Haunts. We're everywhere. We're on, we're on Instagram. But on Instagram... You want to find if you, if you want to join Instagram, join me, Ghosty Gal. I am Ghosty Gal on on Instagram, so you, that's where we're at. So just look for Ghosty Gal. Anyway, thank you guys, and I will see you tomorrow at six thirty p.m. Pacific. Bye. <laughs>